One of the things I love about kids when they're little is how easy they think it is to hide themselves. You know, um, my boys are getting to the age where they're actually too good at hiding. Sometimes uh, we've got this little uh, linen closet, and it's got shelves all the way up and down it, you know. And the boys will climb under that bottom shelf, you know, still laying on the floor, lay on the floor under that bottom shelf, you know, reposition some toilet paper or some paper towels in front of themselves, and then they'll re- get their hand under the door, and they'll just kind of close themselves in, shutting themselves in the closet. And there's been times where I'm looking for them, can't find them anywhere. I'll open that closet, look around, and not even see them, wi- like, looking straight at the spot where they're hiding. And so there's times where it's like, all right, guys, we need to roll this back. You're, you're getting too good at hiding. And then you have Eleanor, who's, who's three, and she's starting to get the hang of it. But for the majority of her life, she's operated under the principle of, if I can't see you, then you can't see me. And so she'll throw a blanket over her head, put her, put her hands over her eyes, you know, whatever, bury her face in a pillow, all kinds of stuff. And that moment she you know, can't see anyone else, she thinks she is completely invisible to everyone else in the world. And obviously that's not the way it is, but yet we all probably had that mindset at various points in our lives. I know that I used to, my parents tell a story of where I, would, uh, I, w- I was playing hide and seek and I, I laid down on their bedroom floor and I stuck my head under their bed and the rest of me is just laying out into the open where everyone can see and I just thought I was invisible. And so we, uh, when we're little, operate under this, you can't see me, or I can't see you, so therefore you can't see me. <clears throat> and I think it's pretty cute when kids do that, right? But, but yet, we grow up and we move beyond that. Okay, nobody carries that mentality into adulthood. We all know that, you know, it takes a lot more to hide ourselves um, than just covering, you know, keeping our own view, uh, changing our own perspective on things. And yet, there's a lot of people and a lot of adults who keep that same mentality in their relationship with God, who think, I can't see you, so therefore you can't see me. And there are times when we kind of hope or think that God is not watching so closely. There are times when we kind of would actually like to get to a place where God is not watching us. We look for places, ways that we can hide from God, hide our our shame, hide our sinfulness, hide maybe the life that we actually want to live. And so we look for these places where maybe we can get away from God. And I notice this in myself, this tendency to want to get away from God a little bit. Um, Ever since I've been a person who's tried to, you know, make reading the Bible a regular part of my life, uh, when I get to a a moment where I've done something that I know is sinful or I have a a habit in my life that I know is sinful, um, I just tend to have a hard time wanting to read the Bible. Uh, I, I just, I just will shy away from it. And I don't, I'm not even actively thinking, I can't read the Bible right now. But there's a part of me, there's this feeling that I get when in those seasons where I, I, I feel guilty, where I feel shameful, that opening the Bible honestly gives me that feeling like I'm going to the principal's office, like I'm going to have to fess up for something, like I'm going to be in trouble simply because if I open the Bible, then maybe God's going to know. And so there, there are different ways that this kind of shows itself. And again, I'm not the only one who tries to keep God out of parts of my life, um, you know, and keep and keep ourselves kind of... Uh, hidden from God. I'm definitely not the only one who's, who's done that. Um, throughout history, it's become incredibly common for people to think uh, that they can create some kind of separation between themselves and God, or, or between God and, and the other parts of their life that don't really look overly spiritual. Um, usually the thought process goes like this, as long as I'm not in church, 
as long as I'm maybe not around the preacher, as long as I'm not praying or reading the Bible or doing something that is, you know, really overly spiritual, as long as I'm not doing those things, then uh, God's really not aware or he doesn't care what's going on in my life. As long as I steer clear of holy places, holy people, and holy activities, then God can't see me. That tends to be the general thought process there. And just to be clear, I'm not saying I'm a holy person. That's just kind of how people have this weird view of creatures because there's this thought that, you know, if I hear somebody do something bad or see somebody do something bad, then I'm going to run off and I'm going to just pray to God and tell, all, tell on them that I'm just like a, a, just a glorified spiritual tattletale. And so we, there's, there's this mindset that people think as long as I, you know, I'm not in the church, as long as I'm not around the preacher, as long as I'm not, you know, got my Bible wide open or something like that, then God's not really aware, or maybe even it's that God doesn't really care how I'm living my life outside of those holy places. And, and scholars for a long time have called this mindset the sacred secular divide. This mindset that we can separate things that are spiritual from things that are secular or, or not necessarily things that don't appear to be overly spiritual. This is when you live your life as if there's a boundary between spiritual things and your normal everyday life. Um, being a pastor, this is one of the weirdest things because that, that you know, changed in my life the second I got you know, a job at a church and took on the job title of minister, is that there's times when people just act differently around me, okay? Most of the time, people don't use their normal speech. Uh, they, I mean, people, they do not cuss typically around me. And when one of those, you know, unsavory words slips out, you can see like the well, panic on their face, like, oh no, I just cussed in front of the preacher. He's going to tell on me. He's going to tell on me to God, and oh, then I'm going to be in trouble with the big guy upstairs because I cussed in front of this person that they think is holier or closer to God or something um, than every other people might be. Uh, one of the best examples of this that I ever heard came from David Upchurch. He works at Lincoln Christian University, and he used to work, uh, be the, uh, for many years, he was the minister at Rochester Christian Church, uh, just northeast of Springfield. And he said one day he took the day off and he went golfing. He was by himself, so he kind of got paired with a guy that he did not know. And this guy just cussed nonstop. Every bad swing, every time he hit the ball into the weeds, it was just one giant rambling line of expletives. And Dave said, yeah, you know, it's fine. I get it. But after a while, he just kind of, it was getting annoying. It was so much. And so he said, I came up with a plan. I asked the guy, hey, what do you do for a living? And he told me. And then common courtesy dictated that he asked me what I do for a living. So I said, I'm the minister at Rochester Christian Church. And Dave said, you could see just it wash over his face like, oh, no, I've made a terrible mistake. And so he, for the rest of the day, man, he cleaned up how he spoke. And the next time he hit the ball into the weeds, he went, ah, shoot, doggone it. And for the rest of the day, it was a totally, totally different ball game. And that's just one way that this gets expressed. One way that this we think, one way that we live out this mental division between what is spiritual and what is secular. And a lot of people, I notice a lot of people change their behavior when they come into church. And it's not that I've seen people be, you know, quote unquote bad or do things that were mean or wrong or cruel, but it's what I don't see. Um, because again, I know most people cuss and things like that. But I very, very rarely hear that on a Sunday morning. I mean, people, the speech I hear on Sunday morning is so incredibly squeaky clean. 
It's ridiculous, all right? Um, I don't ever see couples chewing each other out in the church building. Like, they might have been fighting in the parking lot. They might have been in their car going at it with their kids in the back going, oh, mommy, daddy, stop. But when they come in the church building, boy, oh, boy, do they change their tune. Everybody seems to think there's something special about this place and that maybe God is, is watching a little closer, closer when we get into the building. And you might say, well, that's just because they're on Sunday morning and there's people here and they don't want people to think they're a bad person. They don't want people to judge them. And that is part of it. I, I understand that. Um, but there's also, I've had people admit to me that they just didn't want to do those things. They, they, they didn't want to do that when they were here because they just knew that when they were here, God would be watching. They were convinced that here, God was watching more closely than he was every other place they could go. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you really think, do you really think that God is that limited? Do you really think that just because you pulled onto the church property that now God can see you and before he couldn't? As if there's some like invisible magical fence around our church property and God can't get out. And so when you leave, as much as God might want to follow you and be with you and, and help you and know what you're doing and invest in you, he just can't because he's stuck on this little chunk of real estate. And you might even think, well, obviously, Anthony, I know that's not right. I know that's not true. I know God is, you know, omnipotent or all, all or sorry, all omniscient and all omnipotent and omnipresent. I know God's all these places and he's got all the power and all the knowledge, but yet we might know that up here, but the way we live our lives often says something different, okay? We end up with people who will come to church faithfully. We end up with people who would call themselves Christians and say, absolutely, I'm a believer in Jesus. People who listen to sermons, who sing the songs, who say, yes, Jesus has changed my life. And yet when they leave this place, it really doesn't look like Jesus has had any effect on their life whatsoever. It looks as if the rest of their life outside of Sunday morning has no, has no presence of God in their life. On more than one occasion, I've seen people drift away from church. It happens to a lot of people. But every now and then, there's somebody who drifts away, and you reach out to them, and it's like, all of a sudden, they're like, no. And it's like, why are they, they're, they're resistant to, you know, reach, being reached out to. And as I've, you know, talked with them, or maybe they've come back and, and kind of told what was going on, and I've, I've learned about their situation, what you'll come to find out is they wanted to do something they knew that God wouldn't approve of. They wanted to live a certain way. They wanted to do things that, that would not honor God. And so, they quit coming to church because then it was almost as if they would have to admit to God, they would have to come face to face with the fact that he wasn't pleased with the way that they've been living. Now, today what I want to do for the rest of our time, I want us to go into a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. It's a poem, and it's from the book of Psalms. Psalms was a, uh, it's the worship book, essentially, the poetry book of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Um, if you grab a Bible, so I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, or you can use uh, the Bible app on your phone, assuming you're not watching this on your phone. Um, and if you grab a physical Bible, and you've cut it open about halfway, that you'll probably be in the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalm 139. And what we're going to see is that whoever wrote this Psalm does not believe that there is a way to divide the spiritual from the normal, common, everyday stuff. So here we go. Psalm 139. We'll start in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted 
with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so this psalm starts off with this idea that God knows every detail of your life. Mundane details, important details. He knows the little stuff like where you sit down, when you sit down, what chair you sit in. He knows when you go to bed and when you rise out of bed in the morning. God knows absolutely all of it. When you're getting ready to say something, as that thought is forming in your brain, God sees it. God sees those words before they even come out of your mouth. He's so intimately aware with you and your life. It says he, we're hemmed in. God is before us and behind us. That's basically a way of saying God has us surrounded. There's no escape from his presence. We go on, verse 7. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall be upon me. If, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Again, there's no escape. God's got us surrounded. He's in front of us. He's behind us. He can see everything. He can see every place that we might go. It says, even if we soar to the heights of heaven or sink down into the depths of hell, God is aware of where we are and what we're doing. It, uh, then it kind of uses this weird language. It says, if I take the wings of the morning, um, in the morning, the sun rises in the east. So this is a way of saying, if I go to the east. And then it says, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, from Israel, the, the sea was to the west. So this is saying, if I went all the way to the east or all the way to the west, I still wouldn't be far enough away so that you couldn't see me, God. This direction language is saying, I can go up, I can go down, I can go left, right, front, back, and there's nowhere I can go to where God isn't intimately aware of everything I've done. Even hiding in the dark, God can see through the darkness, unlike us. You know, my kids jump out and scare me in the dark. They love it. It's one of their favorite things to hide around a corner and jump out and scare me. And that might fool me, but stuff like that, you know, we can't hide from God. There's no crack or crevice or corner around which we could hide where God can't see us. Let's read just a little bit more. Uh, we'll start in verse 13. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden. Uh, my frame, excuse me, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before I lived even a day of my life, God saw them all unfolded before him. And so, God knows every molecule of your DNA. He knows every place you have gone or ever gone on earth. He knows the thoughts that are in your head before you were even considered a person. 
okay? Before you were even born, God knew what, how he was going to make you and the thoughts that, that you were going to have and the words you were going to say. God knew absolutely everything. He knows absolutely everything about you and your life, which means you cannot hide from God. You can't hide from God. There's no way to do that. Even when I feel too guilty to read my Bible, God still sees my shame. He still sees my guilt. He still sees my sin. There's nowhere to hide. I'm not hiding it, even though it maybe feels that way to me. God hears it when you cuss, whether you cuss at work or in the church building. It doesn't matter. He hears it all. God sees you being disrespectful for your, with your spouse, whether it's at your house, on the car ride to church, or in the building itself. God sees all of that. He hears all of that. He knows us inside and out. And I don't say all this stuff to kind of scare you, okay? Um, my point is not to say, ooh, God can watch you. God sees you. I'm not trying to, to make you think that God is some boogeyman who's just watching and waiting for you to mess up. That's not what this is about. That's not the point here. Um, basically, I'm trying to help all of us have a better understanding of how our relationship with God works. It doesn't shut off just because we got away from the church building, because my, the minister's ears weren't hearing what you were saying or watching what you were doing, or because you weren't doing spiritual things, okay? God is with you regardless of all of that. And so what I want to do is I want to keep people, who, I want to I I let people know who are trying to keep God out of certain aspects of their life that that doesn't work. That's not how things work. You're fooling yourself. If you think you've got a system figured out where you can behave yourself one hour a week in a special building, assuming we can meet and it's not a quarantine, if you've got a system thing, I can behave, as long as I can behave myself in the church building and around the minister, and then I can do whatever I want everywhere else, and God, God will be fooled enough into thinking I'm a good person and he'll save me. You are fooling yourself. That is not how a relationship with God works even a little bit. There is no way for you to divide what is spiritual and what you think is not spiritual, what is normal, everyday life, going to work, seeing people at the grocery store, commenting online. God is with you in all of that ordinary stuff, which means that every decision you make, everything you do, everything is spiritual. Absolutely everything is spiritual because God is with you everywhere you go and he knows even the thoughts of your head and your brain. Every decision is a spiritual decision. Whether you choose to follow Jesus or wander from him when you leave the building, that's a spiritual choice. When you decide to let God only shape your life and how you act one hour a week and you do the rest, your own thing the rest of the time, that's a spiritual decision and there are painful consequences when we choose to live this way, a couple. The first one is this. I think we end up with a lot of people who call themselves Christians, who believe they are Christians, who are not saved because they've never fully given their life to Jesus. They've never fully surrendered themselves to living the life he calls them to, the life he died to lead them to. And if you're here, again, I, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the judge here, okay? I just got to... I just got a sneaking suspicion that there are people who believe that they are Christians and they are not because they're trying to work some system where as long as they stay out of church or, or at least when they behave when they come to church or behave when, you know, certain circumstances they think God is watching, I just don't think that's going to work for you. 
That's not, that's not what's described for us. That's not what a life with Jesus looks like in the pages of Scripture. And so I think that's one consequence. The second consequence is you end up with a lot of people who identify as Christians who say they follow Jesus, but their life doesn't look anything like Jesus. I think this is one of the reasons why um, the number one term associated with Christians is hypocrites. Because we act one way in a building on Sunday morning. We're here and we're smiling and amen, brother. But then we leave and we're horrible, rude people. Um, there was a little space between graduating college and, and coming to Loami where I was preaching in a small country church on the weekends and through the week I would work um, at a restaurant waiting tables. And um, because I preached on the weekends, I never had to work the Sunday shift. And I'd come in and they would be like, man, you are lucky that you're not here on Sunday for lunch. And I said, why? And they said, the church crowd is the rudest group of people, the most demanding. They are the worst tippers of any group of the week. And I got to tell you, my, I felt like I was like working double time trying to make up to these people that I worked with what Christians were supposed to be like, to give them a better implication or idea of what Christians were, of what Christ-like love looked like, because they had... They, they have had real-life interaction with Christians living one way in a building and another way out in normal, everyday life. And I'll be honest with you, I think this quarantine, there's going to be a lot of really good things that are going to come out of this for the church. Um, the one is that we need a, this mindset has to go. It has to. I mean, if you think uh, that your interactions with God, your spiritual experiences stop when you're outside of the church building or when you're not around the minister, that's every moment of your life right now. Like, you, those things are taken away from you. If you think that there's a division between spiritual and normal everyday life, well, the spiritual stuff is gone. The places are gone. You can't be around me. I, I can't, I'm not interacting with hardly anyone except my family on a regular basis outside of digital stuff, right? And so, the, the, sec, or the spiritual side of things is gone in that equation of the spiritual secular divide. So that mindset has to disappear. That mindset has to go away. It can't live any longer. It doesn't make sense in the world in which we're living if we hope to have any idea or any relationship with God. And so what we have to do, and, and the only way that this online church stuff works, is for us to acknowledge that God is with us absolutely everywhere. And that my life needs to honor him absolutely everywhere. That I can't be a part-time follower of Jesus. I can't be a part-time Christian. I have to give every moment of my life to him. And so what that means, and I want to issue a little bit of a challenge here as I wrap this up. What that means is that everything you do should be done, every choice you make should be made to honor God. To honor God and live like Jesus. To show Jesus to the people in your life. And right now, you're, a lot of us are stuck at home. So here's how I want to make this specific for you. If you're spending a lot of time around your family in close quarters, or roommates, or whoever, you know, the few people that you are allowing yourself to see during this weird time, you're around them a lot. And the tendency can be to get really frustrated, to get really irritated, to, to you know, there's, there's such a, a, what's the saying, too much of a good thing? Can I say that? Yeah. Um, and I haven't experienced that. My wife is perfect, so I would never be tired of her. And my children are holy angels, and I would never uh, want to escape to a church building next door where it's perfectly quiet. So I don't understand what that's like. But maybe when you're home with people, and, and the people that even the, that you love, it can be, can be frustrating, and you could want to be selfish and, and think only of yourself and get a little bit more rude, a little bit more snappy and bitey. Here's my challenge. 
if these are the people, the majority, the only people that you can interact with for this little season, then I want you to do everything possible to treat them with the love of Jesus, to surrender your selfish desires, to be rude, to be snappy back, to, to bite back with harsh comments or rudeness, and to treat them with the love of Jesus. I want you to pray today, preferably as soon as you turn off your screen from watching this, I want you to pray, God, I know that you are with me everywhere. Help me to understand and realize the beauty of the love Jesus has shown for me and to reflect that to the people in my life, to my spouse, to my kids, to my roommates, to whoever else you're able to interact with because that's your little circle of ministry right now. This is a little spot in your world where you can honor and reflect the love of Jesus because if Jesus can only see you, if you only have to live for Jesus in a church building, then all bets are off right now. But if God is with you, if you're called to follow Jesus everywhere, then ministry never stops. Your calling to reflect the love of Jesus never, ever stops. Your, your, or God's desire to grow you, shape you, and remold you to be a better person, that never stops. God's desire to change the way you think, the way you speak, the way you, the way you act, the way you behave, God's desire to change those things so that he can bless you through those changes and make you to be a blessing to other people. That, that goal of God never stops in your life. So I encourage you, look at every moment. Every decision is a spiritual decision. Every, every opportunity is, is a chance to show Jesus or not, to honor God or not, to live like Jesus or not. There is no division between those things that are spiritual and those things we think are not spiritual. That does not exist. The sacred, secular divide does not exist. Everything is spiritual.